Hi, this is Greg Lois. Thank you for joining me today uh, to talk about appeals and reopeners in New Jersey. Uh, I got to be frank with everyone today. I am going to talk about appeals very briefly today. If you ask me, uh, it's not that exciting of a topic. Appeals in New Jersey are generally strategic and not tactical. And I did cover it sort of last month when I did the New Jersey uh, appellate decision year in review. So I went through all of the important appellate decisions last month. So uh, if you're real excited and want to watch that again, uh, enjoy it. Today, I'm going to go through appeals super quick and I'm going to get to reopeners. Um, I'm going to answer the question, what is a reopener? Uh, how do I close reopeners? How do I avoid reopeners? And I'm going to try to be as practical and matter of fact about this as I can. Uh, if you're an employer or carrier in New Jersey, you are annoyed about reopeners. And believe me, I am annoyed with reopeners. So I'm going to talk about some very specific strategies to make sure these things go away and do not come back. I'm going to leave some time at the end to answer questions. Remember, this is completely live, so please do ask me your questions. Type them into the question box, which is uh, on your screen, hopefully, and it should look something like the question box that's up right now. At the end of the presentation, which is only going to be about 10 minutes or so, I'm going to answer as many questions as I can about reopeners. And if you have a question about appeal or really, honestly, any topic, I'll answer it. I will not say your full name. I'll just say your first name. I'll repeat your question for the audience, and then I'll answer to the best of my ability. All right, let's dive in. Uh, the first thing, oh, I just want to remind everybody, uh, if you don't have a copy of one of our 2020 handbooks, uh, please go to our website. You can instantly download our 2020 New York, our 2020 New Jersey workers' compensation handbooks. And new for this year, we have a handbook just for dual jurisdiction claims in the construction context in New York. And those are cases where you have a labor law claim and a New York workers' compensation case and you're coordinating counsel across jurisdictions. So that's a special book for that. That's written by my partner, Tashia Razul, who heads up our construction management practice here. Um, if you're here with us today, you're here for our New Jersey webinar. Please note that the first Monday of the month, we have our construction defense webinar. The second Monday, we do our civil defense or subrogation webinar. Third Monday of the month, we do multiple sessions of our New York workers' compensation webinar, and you're here today for our New Jersey uh, fourth Monday of the month webinar. Every month, a different topic. Uh, if you're watching this webinar, uh, I hope you're here to learn about a little bit about appeals uh, and reopeners. And we've got a different topic every month, and we try to make these things as practical as we can. Um, you'll see today, I'm not going to talk that much about the law. I'm going to really talk about practical uh, case handling strategies that you can actually use. All right, <clears throat> I'm going to quickly go through appeals. So, so first, what can be appealed in New Jersey? And the answer is any final decision. It doesn't have to be a decision closing the case or at the end of the case or at the end of a trial. It's really any decision where money's moving. Uh, and that means you can appeal decisions uh, that arise out of a motion for medical and temporary disability benefits. And in fact, uh, last year in New Jersey's appellate division, I was successful defending a motion which arose out of a motion for med intent. So a final decision is any decision where money is going to be paid to the petitioner. Uh, at that time, you can then uh, file an appeal. Now, there are some things that cannot be appealed. First, you can always appeal a judgment or an order, uh, anything that occurs after a trial or decision on the merits. You can't appeal to things if you consent to them. Oftentimes, we will have orders that are entered during the lifetime of the case, mainly to stipulate to certain issues or just to simply move the case along. We'll say, you know what, this isn't going to be an issue going forward. We can stipulate to that. 
just so that we can move it along. It's very important that defense counsel, when we're uh, consenting to something, uh, is careful about what you're consenting to and what you're just taking receipt of. And so in our office, the practice is, if there's an order that's being entered during the pendency of the case, the judge wants to hand me an order and maybe it's something that we could stipulate to, all right, we'll put that on there, it's consented to. If not, I'm saying I'm assigning this order for receipt only, but I'm not consenting to its content. So be careful about that. Um, the new appeal briefing rules in New Jersey, and really they're not so new, they've been in, in play now since 2017, are that every single thing that gets appealed in your New Jersey workers' compensation case, the appeal goes right to the New Jersey Appellate Division, so the Appellate Division rules apply. Every single point being appealed has to be pointed to in the record, and your defense attorney needs to raise a specific objection during the trial itself or the hearing or proceeding itself. If no objections raised, you've waived that. You're not going to be able to point to that record on appeal. So that's something to be very careful. Uh, statistics. I'm just going to give you some back of the envelope sort of statistics. Less than 1% of New Jersey workers' compensation decisions get appealed. And the reason for that is because the appeal is to the appellate division. And the scope of appeal is quite limited. Uh, the judge of compensation uh, can rely on, for example, claimant credibility uh, to bolster their opinion. And as long as the judge doesn't make an error of law, in general, the trial judge's decision is going to be sustained by the appellate division. So we tell clients, it's really not useful to raise appeals for purely tactical reasons. You don't get the benefit of, for example, an uh, automatic stay like you do in other states, like, for example, New York. So really, you're only appealing cases where you think there's been an error in law or an error in the application of law, or the judge has considered facts which are so extraordinary uh, or were improperly brought into the case. And again, watch our webinar from last month in which I go through the appellate decisions, and I really picked out cases where the judge of compensation was overruled for those reasons. But in general, uh, an appeal in New Jersey is strategic. You need to be thinking if you can win the entire case. There's no tactical benefit to an appeal. And the defense rarely wins appeals. We had a win this year, but frankly, that's not that typical. Uh, typically, the judge of compensation, if their uh, opinion can be found to be based on any objective, credible evidence, will be sustained. Uh, all right. Appeals uh, are different depending on the closure type of case. I want to be very specific. Some cases cannot be appealed because they're not full and final. Now, a section 20 lump sum dismissal, also called an order approving settlement with dismissal, cannot be appealed. You're consenting to a settlement. You're not going to have any grounds to appeal. The only way a section 20 ever gets changed is if we can argue that it was obtained via fraud or duress. There was uh, some misleading information that was provided, and that's why that section 20 was resolved. In general, a section 22 order approving a settlement, this is again an order approving the consented to settlement between the parties, not going to be grounds for an appeal. There's nothing you could appeal on that, again, unless there was some sort of fraud or duress. Anything the judge orders, uh, for example, after a trial, a trial judgment, an opinion during the course of the case, uh, setting, for example, something like a benefit to be paid, often in the context of a motion for medical and temporary disability benefits, that can be appealed, and that's really the limited scope of appeals. Now, uh, let's talk about reopeners. Uh, appeals, as you can see, I didn't spend much time on it. Uh, it's only interesting case by case, and tactically, I don't spend a lot of time on it. Now, reopeners uh, really do 
annoy me and my clients. And that's because in New Jersey, there's sort of this culture of every case that isn't resolved by way of a lump sum dismissal comes back eventually. And so if you're with me today, it's probably because you want to hear some practical ways of not having all your cases come back and be reopened. All right, so just jump into that. First, pursuant to uh, New Jersey section 27, uh, every single agreement for compensation, this would be an order approving settlement under section 22, may be modified at any time by quote, a subsequent agreement. And then the statute goes on to say that the party has to bring this demand to modify the agreement, the settlement, the resolution of their case, within two years of the last time benefits were provided. And really that means the last time that benefits were paid or medical treatment provided. And that last one's a little bit tricky, so let's talk about that one. The statute of limitations for a reopener is two years from the last date you made payment. This is where I want you to take out your pens and uh, paper and write this down. You've closed a case, a couple of years have gone by. All of a sudden, petitioner's counsel says, hey, my guy, legs hurt again, or his arm hurts, or shoulder hurts. Can you send them back for an evaluation to see if they need more treatment? The answer to that should almost always be no. And the reason the answer to that should be no is because that, if you do provide that uh, need for treatment evaluation or that opinion, or send them back to the treating doctor, even if they say just one time, he just he wants to get just checked out just one time, you are gonna reset that two-year statute of limitations. So be very, very careful about this. When you've closed a case by way of order approving settlement and you've paid out your schedule of weeks and the weeks have now stopped, the claimant has two years from the date that last payment was made, that last uh, payment of permanent partial disability under the schedule of weeks. Uh, tricky counsel for the petitioner where more than two years has elapsed since that last benefit payment will sometimes come to my clients, the adjuster, they won't come to me, they'll go to the adjuster and they'll say, hey, uh, just this once, can um, they go back to the doctor? I know it's been a couple of years, they just wanna get checked out. The answer to that should almost always be no. Now, the, what you can do, if you really wanna see uh, or accommodate or try to avoid a reopen or any other thing that can happen is, you could send them back to the independent medical evaluator who last examined them at your request. That is not providing medical care, sending them back to an IME. So that might be a way of sidestepping it. All right, uh, this is uh, the reminder that this is live. Uh, please type in your questions and I will answer as many as I can at the end. All right, uh, how is a reopener brought before the court? Well, uh, it's brought by a formal application. Uh, these are all now filed electronically, although there is still a form that is on the uh, uh, Division of Workers' Compensation's website. Uh, that can be downloaded, so sometimes you will see a paper form. Now, the petitioner must say that since their case was last resolved, since they last agreed to a settlement in this case, their condition has materially worsened, and that is the legal status they have to prove. The burden of proof is on the petitioner in these cases. Just because they bring a reopener or an application for modification of a formal award does not mean they automatically win. They still have the burden of proof. What does that mean? Well, we are allowed to serve them with discovery, uh, and there is some specific discovery that's allowed. Form interrogatories are allowed. So when we're talking, we're talking about practical strategies, what should we be doing to defend against reopeners? I'm gonna talk about discovery in a second. But everyone watching this should know that the petitioner has to answer form interrogatories. And one of the questions are, where have you had medical treatment? Who's been treating you? 
since this uh, last award was entered. Oftentimes, almost every time, in fact, I would say probably nine out of 10 times, the answer is nowhere. I've had no new medical treatment. That's great. That signals to me, your defense counsel, that this one is probably has no legs to it. It's a minor uh, case that they're just bringing for a Section 20 resolution. Now, how are they resolved? Number one way is usually both sides get IME reports. So the petitioner, again, comes forward. They've now brought their case to say, my condition's worsened. Uh, I haven't gotten any new medical care, but I don't, you know, I want more money. Uh, they go out and get their own IME. Defense will typically get their own IME. Uh, in some cases, the petitioner may also seek additional medical care. Remember, the petitioner can bring a motion for medical and temporary disability benefits at any time, essentially saying, hey, I was not made whole from the treatment I've already been provided. The settlement doesn't contemplate the extent of my injuries, and in fact, I need more medical care at this time, at which point, uh, you know, refer to our prior uh, webinars on how to defend motions for med intent. Typically, uh, the parties both get their own IMEs. Some discovery is exchanged. Usually, it's pretty lame because usually there is no new medical care whatsoever provided. Remember, the petitioner has accepted their award. They've maybe gone back to work. They've gone to work for a new employer. A year and a half goes by. They get a little note in the mail from their attorney that says, hey, remember, it's been a year since your last uh, settlement in this case. Do you want to reopen your case? And that's what triggers them to go maybe back to their attorney's office and seek some more money. We have the right to discovery and trial, and I'll talk about that in a second. And then typically, most of these cases resolve the second time by way of a lump sum dismissal pursuant to Section 20. And that's a one-time payment. It is a dismissal. The case can never come back. When a case gets brought back on a reopener, so a case that's been resolved, there's been some finding of permanent partial disability, the parties have settled it, or the judge has ordered it, when that case comes back, 99% of the time, you should be steering that case for a lump sum dismissal. You don't want another order approving settlement. You don't want to consent to another settlement in that case because it's just going to come back again and again. And this is the chief frustration. So there's a couple tactics I can share with you to resolve these cases. Uh, let's begin with some of the most obvious ones. First, taking extremely protective testimony at the settlement of the first case. So we're thinking ahead, we're thinking about the fact that this case might come back. And what I like to do is get the uh, petitioner's own IME report. And when the petitioner gets on the stand in the workers' compensation case to accept their settlement, because remember, in every New Jersey workers' compensation case, in general, the petitioner goes to court exactly once, and that's the time they go to court to accept their settlement and allocute or state on the record that they are voluntarily and willingly accepting the settlement. They also can be asked questions by defense counsel about the nature and extent of their current disability. And really, this is an opportunity for defense counsel to go through every complaint they ever gave their IME doctor. Generally, their IME doctors are taking these over-the-top complaints. In fact, Chris Diaz at my office and I were talking about this the other day, and he said, yeah, I once had a claimant come into court and say that he was so disabled and his hands hurt so bad he couldn't even pick up a pencil. And that stuff's great, right? Because we want to then elicit testimony from the petitioner who's there, by the way, to accept a settlement. And they're thinking to themselves, I should really blow this up and make this seem so extreme and so terrible. So I, so the judge gives me this money because that's how their mindset is. So our jo job there, your defense counsel's job is to elicit the most testimony we can from them about their condition. 
And we're going to ask them lots of leading questions because we're allowed to do that when they're on the stand to accept a settlement. I'm going to say things like, didn't you tell your doctor you can barely walk? Didn't you tell your doctor all you can do is sit on a bench and watch TV all day? Didn't, I, didn't you tell the doctor you can't lift a pencil? And they're going to say, yes, yes, I said that, yes, yes, yes. What we're doing is locking them into these over-the-top complaints that they gave to their own IME doctor. And the point of that is that later on, two years later, when they bring their new claim, their reopener claim, they say that their condition, remember, it's their burden to say their condition has materially worsened. We can take out this transcript that we have and go, look, here's this person a year ago, two years ago, saying they could barely walk, they could barely get out of bed. You know, it was a miracle that they were able to hold the clicker in their hand and watch TV. Judge, how can they show material worsening? So that's the first way. The first way to prevent and defend against reopeners is at the time you're closing the first case. You've stipulated to a settlement or you're about to stipulate to a settlement. The answer is to make sure your defense counsel makes a really good record and a lengthy record and a detailed record about all the petitioner's complaints at that time. And then when the case gets brought back, if it does, uh, make sure that transcript is provided to the court. And you say, Judge, how can this person show they're more disabled than I couldn't get out of bed and I can barely lift a pencil? You know, where, where are you going with this? And that's how those cases can resolve. All right, second way, uh, you can do discovery and litigation. And unfortunately, uh, I, this, this is really not much of a help. This is just a practical takeaway. You know, you are allowed discovery in a reopener case. I've had cases pulled from other defense firms and sent to us to defend on reopeners. And my first question is, well, did we get interrogatories? You're allowed to serve interrogatories on the adverse party within the first 90 days. And I'll say, did your prior counsel serve interrogatories? Do we have the answers? What did they say? Did they admit that they've had no further medical care? And I look through the file and I go, oh my goodness, they never served discovery. They never did the basics. Because the real basics, the real standard that the petitioner is going to need to show in order to prevail on that reopener is that their condition worsened. And the, really the way they're going to show that is some sort of interim medical care. Uh, the next thing we can do is some investigation, in including their current work status. Now, if the petitioner still works for you, and maybe, by the way, that's the reason you settled the case uh, under Section 22, which again, gives them reopener rights versus section 20, which is a lump sum dismissal. It's really because you said to yourself, look, I don't want to do a section 20, a lump sum dismissal with someone who currently works for me because really they could come to work the next day and then say, oh, my back hurts a new one. And then you're off to the races. It's a start over. There's no ray judicata effect to a section 20 because it's not really a settlement of the workers' compensation case. It's just a payment for a dismissal. I know it's a strange legal nuance, but that's the nuance. So the next step would be, all right, uh, they've filled out some interrogatories, but what's the current work status? You know, I've had cases where the petitioner came back to work for the same insured, and we find out that now they're doing a more strenuous job. They're asking for overtime. They're working more hours. And I say to the judge, I go, judge, how can this person show a material worsening? Look at, from every objective uh, standard we have, they look like they're doing more and working better. How can they show more disability? Now, uh, unfortunately, the answer to that in New Jersey's law is that you could still be found to have a disability, even if it doesn't affect your work, as long as you can say that something in your personal life is affected. So you'll say, well, I used to go to the gym five days a week, but now I only go two days a week, and that's because of my pain from the injury. So uh, that could uh, overcome that. But really looking into their current job status and their current ability to work and what they're doing and using that to defend the case. 
The next thing is you've got the burden of proof in a case like this. Uh, in a reopener claim, when you are defending them, it is up to the petitioner to show a material worsening. And so again, you're going to be using the transcript, you're going to be using your new IME report, and your IME doctor should be saying, yep, they look exactly the same as when I evaluated them last time. And of course, using your ability to cross-examine their doctor and say, look, there's absolutely nothing here that's changed in your findings from three years ago as to today. All right. Uh, the last thing here, and this is a little bit aggressive, and it's really, the applicability of this is going to vary based on uh, which judge you're appearing before. I call this tactic, tactic three, pay it up front, all right? So tactic three is, look, we all know a section 20 cannot be reopened. That's a dismissal. That's really where you want to steer every case you can. Uh, when I wake up in the morning and I put on my lawyer costume and my lawyer haircut uh, in New Jersey, I'm thinking, how can I maneuver this case into a section 20 lump sum dismissal? How can I get rid of this in such a way that it never can come back and it's closed with finality? So uh, the answer is, whatever this uh, reopener is, we want to think about it, moving it to a section 20. But what if we can section 20 the first case, the first claim, the one that's going to be subject to a reopener? Now, I know what you're saying, Greg. Uh, wait a second. There's a huge judicial bias in New Jersey against doing section 20s, quote, the first time. I've had many judges say to me, Greg, <laughs> this is the first settlement of this case literally presuming that there's going to be a reopener at some point. Uh, and there's really a paternalistic bias here. And the paternalistic bias has been present for all the 20 years that I've been a workers' compensation defense attorney in New Jersey and all going all the way back to when I was a law clerk and working for the Division of Workers' Compensation. And that is this, that the social beneficent purpose uh, of the act is really to protect workers. And, you know, workers who close their cases without the ability to bring the case back sometime in the future. They're not doing something in their own best interests. The judge knows better. Even if their attorney, remember, a plaintiff's attorney who wants the most money they can get is really saying to the person, let's do it. Let's do a, let's do a lump sum dismissal. Uh, the judge shouldn't approve it. And the judges over time have also relied on the statute, which says that the Section 20 lump sum dismissal process is only available where there is a issue as to jurisdiction, nature and extent of residual disability, uh, entitlement, employment, in other words, whether the act applies or not. Now, I think it's a very narrow reading of Section 20, and actually the fact that you can resolve a reopener on Section 20 indicates very clearly that pretty much any case can be Section 20, even if it is an accepted admitted claim for which medical treatment has been provided. There's really no legal barrier, but there is an institutional or judicial bias, and we need to be cognizant of that. We are not robots appearing before some great computer that just spits out a response. We are interacting with other human beings who have their own paternalistic or judicial biases that we have to take into consideration. And in New Jersey, the first time the judges don't like to do a lump sum dismissal, they feel like that's somehow impinging on the petitioner's ability to bring their case back or protect the petitioner. And sometimes we'll say to the judge, yeah, uh, we get it, um, you know, uh, the answer is uh, we want to do something even better uh, than what they're doing right now. And judge, what I'd like to do is pay them a lump sum dismissal now and anticipate what the value of the reopener is going to be. So if the current case's value is, let's just say, throw a number out there, $60,000 for a Section 22, which would be then subject to a reopener, judge, why don't we settle this case now for $67,500? 
And that other $7,500 will maybe anticipate the cost of litigation and the time and the effort and this lump sum dismissal uh, value of the case at the time of the reopener. In other words, let me pay the reopener right now. We'll wrap the whole thing up and we'll give the petitioner this huge pile of cash or larger, let's say, pile of cash now. Interestingly, we've made this suggestion to judges throughout the division and some of the judges say, okay, that's an acceptable way of doing this because you're really anticipating uh, the typical reopener ability of the case. And this is very applicable in cases where it's a very, um, I'll use the term, well understood injury, for example, a fracture, a dislocation, a laceration, the types of cases or a, a, you know, a simple uh, knee meniscectomy, arthroscopic repair, something where the case would be amenable to really probably not much medical treatment, if any, in the future. Uh, you know, in the non-workers' compensation context, things like arthroscopic knee repairs, they go away. They never come back. You know, six months of physical therapy at most, the person's back to work full-time, full-duty, never see them again. Of course, the workers' compensation context is different. So what we would be saying, and you would be relying on your defense counsel if you persuade him to the judge of compensation and essentially say, look, we know this case has a certain value to it. Everybody accepts that. But judge, what if we also paid the reopener value on top of this case now? I can tell you this is very aggressive. Some of the judges, and particularly the judges who haven't been on the bench as long, uh, are, are saying, well, I don't know if I really like that. And that's because there is an institutional bias against a Section 20 or a lump sum dismissal of the case the first time it's amenable to settlement. But this is an aggressive thing that you can try. Uh, and it's worth trying. And we have seen this be successful. And about half the time that we think a case is right for this, uh, we've had the judge sustain it. All right, so those are three tactics that I can tell talk about. Uh, now, I'm hoping that there are a lot of interesting and exciting questions that I can answer. If you haven't typed your question in yet, please do so now because it makes it a lot more fun to answer questions. All right, I got some. Uh, okay, I'm trying to scroll up here. Can I make this bigger? Type away as I make my screen readable. Okay, all right. Susan asked the question. Here's a great one. Greg, if we do a Section 20 for the future exposure, and I presume, Susan, you mean a Section 20 at the time of the original settlement, what if the person's Medicare eligible? Would that have to be factored into the future settlement value? Absolutely. Right. So under an order approving settlement, uh, we don't have to consider the person's Medicare entitlement or eligibility, uh, or even if they have a reasonable expectation to Medicare. And the reason for that is a Section 22 or an order approving settlement settlement is subject to a reopener and future medical care for that hip treatment or for that uh, injured body part would be covered under the original settlement. So you don't have to consider Medicare's interest, but you're right. If you are going to combine these two things and you're going to say, Judge, let's do the Section 20 value of settling the case right now, uh, would you have to consider Medicare at that time? The answer is yes, because now you're doing a lump sum dismissal. It's going to foreclose your future exposure for medical. So absolutely, the set aside would be done at that time. All right. Uh, Michelle says, the judge doesn't have an issue with the lump sum payment versus a payout over time. Right. So that's one of the challenges. In New Jersey, a typical order approving settlement is paid out over time a specific schedule of weeks, and a specific payment amount. What we're essentially doing is accelerating that and saying, well, here's the current value of that payment over time. 
plus I'm going to add on the reopener on top. What do you think, Judge? And Michelle, I think uh, your question gets right to the heart of it, which is some judges are not going to go for that. They're going to say, well, you know, and he's got three years of payments that he's looking at. And during that time, his condition could worsen and, you know, anything could happen. So let's not let him close it. So that is a challenge. And that's a great one. Um, Cassie asked the question, is there a way for an adjuster to initiate the Section 20 for medical treatment? Or does it have to be initiated by claimant's counsel? I'm not quite certain exactly what that question is asking me. Is there a way for the adjuster to initiate Section 20 when the only request is for medical treatment, maybe? Yeah, I, I think the answer is always, nope, no more medical treatment. Your case has been closed. Uh, however, if you'd like to do a Section 20, we'd be very happy to talk to you at this moment and then you know, maybe perhaps come up with a very nominal value. I'm not sure if that's answering your question, but if you type in right now, Cassie, I'll be, I'll be reading them. Uh, Michelle asked the question, can surveillance be used to prove the worsening of their condition? Yeah, absolutely. You can use surveillance to say, look, at the time their original case was settled, they were saying they couldn't drive, they couldn't go to the gym, they couldn't do their regular job, all these things. And now, Judge, I have surveillance that shows them all doing all those things. Where's the worsening, Judge? Uh, so that's a great way of using surveillance. Uh, Ryan asked the question, is there any harm in denying setting up a need for treatment up front? pending our investigation, if they file a motion for med intent, would we be hit with attorney's fees at that time if the judge grants it? All right, so if they go so far, if after the original case closes and maybe before they filed a reopener or at the time they filed a reopener to file a motion for med intent, my advice to you is let's defend that like we're defending the motion for med intent. Remember, the burden of proof in a motion for med intent is on the petitioner to show that they are in emergent need of some curative care not just more palliative care, not any care, not some imaginary care that might someday maybe experimentally help them, curative treatment that is time sensitive. That's what a motion for medical and temporary disability benefits is about. Uh, and so, yeah, I think that if they do file that, my advice would be, I think you should immediately defend that motion for med intent, not ignore it. Uh, and typically by getting an IME. And what I would do, almost nine times out of 10, when I get that question from a client on a reopener, it's let's go to the last doctor we used who gave us the IME when we closed the underlying case. That's gonna be really your best doctor who's gonna give you the best opinion because they've already seen the claimant at least once before. All right, uh, Joanne asked the question, if the petitioner files a new claim for the same body part, can we get a credit for the section 20? Uh, yeah, I mean, you could make the argument, hey, look, this is the third time they've said that their shoulder was injured and maybe there's been successive employment. But remember, if Section 20 is not re judicata as to the nature and extent of permanent residual disability to any body part. And so my challenge when we have an employer who still is employing the petitioner, I'm generally steering them away from a Section 20 because there's really nothing that keeps the, uh, let's just say, uh, motivated claimant from saying, I got injured at work, I hurt my back, uh, thank you for this $10,000 section 20, come back to work literally the next day after they accept the money and the check clears and go, oh, I bent over again, I hurt my back. You're stuck with the same situation you had before. You really didn't close out your future exposure that way. So be thoughtful about that. Uh, Earliest says, I thought you could not do a section 20 on accepted body parts, quote, the first time, close quote. So you are basically saying you can. Answer, yes. If a judge allows you to do it, there's nothing in their statute that says just because you've admitted a body part or paid medical care for it or there's been compensated lost time, 
that you can't do a section 20 on that. That really comes down to longstanding rule of thumb uh, and uh, institutional bias. I could tell you that 20 years ago, when I was law clerk for the Division of Workers' Compensation, that was the training I heard. I heard, hey, uh, first time, we don't do section 20s, we don't do lump sums. It was sort of an accepted rule of thumb, but it's not what the statute says. Also, if the only issue in the case, like for example, the, in your hypothetical earliest, where it's an accepted admitted body part, the only issue in the case really then would be, allegedly, the nature and extent of permanent residual disability. Well, that's certainly subject to a Section 20 resolution. How do we know that? Because that's really the only thing that's ever at issue in any uh, reopener claim, the nature and extent of permanent disability. They're claiming the nature and extent of permanent disability has increased. We're saying, no, it hasn't right? That's the only issue in the case. All right. Laura says, I am seeing treatment requests on almost all reopeners. Interrogatories are not completed. Can we require the interrogatories prior to scheduling a medical evaluation? Can petitioners file a motion for temp and medical treatment and be awarded benefits prior to discovery being provided? Yeah, so uh, number one, uh, all right, the reason they're asking you for medical treatment on reopeners is because they want you to help them make their case, <laughs> all right? Uh, if you were calling me, I would be telling you, no, 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 don't authorize any new medical care. Let's send them to an IME doctor, and preferably the one who just saw them when we closed their original case. That's number one. Number two, if they're filing a motion for med intent, what is it going to be based on? I want to see a doctor. I think I might need treatment. They haven't seen one, right? And what are you going to do when they file a motion for med intent? My answer is send them back to the IME doctor who last saw them. Oh, and also, by the way, when I'm in court, I'm saying, Judge, where are my interrogatory responses? This is a closed case. What are we doing here? So I, I think that that is, first of all, I, I think it is standard practice. It should be the standard practice that you're getting discovered to discovery in all of your reopener cases. You should be holding your feet to the fire a little bit. Uh, Kelly asked the question, is there a time limit to the testimony during the order of proven settlement hearing? How long would my defense counsel have to question the petitioner? Answer as long as you want. I go through every single complaint that they gave their IME doctor. Now, you know who they're using for IME doctors, right? Saul Myers Medical Associates, hello, uh, down south, there's only a couple doctors and all the reports look the same, you know? Uh, feels extreme pain, unable to use range of motion, trouble opening door, can't do this, can't do that. Lengthy list of complaints. I'll also go back to the medical records and I'll say, didn't you tell your doctor that you have trouble reaching overhead, that you can't lift more than five pounds, that you can't touch the top of your head. I'll go through all of those things and get them to reaffirm all of those complaints. Now, judges of compensation will generally give the parties plenty of latitude to ask those questions. And really it doesn't take more than 15 or 20 minutes to really nail down all of their complaints and protect you from the reopener. That to me is standard of care. Uh, that's how that should be done. Uh, Ryan asked the question, what about, uh, have you ever had success in pleading a new employer on a reopener without any new medical evidence? In general, no. In general, I'm asking them to prove their case. The only time the new employer would really come into it is where I've discovered they're now working for a new employer and I will subpoena all of their employment records uh, and perhaps put them under surveillance at the new employment so I can prove that everything they're doing for this new employer is either what they did for me or exceeds it. Uh, but generally, I'm not bringing in the new employer. Uh, this is the last question I'll take is from Iris. When a petitioner files reopener citing increased pain, and there's been no treatment since the last award. 
you recommend an IME as opposed to a need for treat? Okay, first of all, uh, full stop, if there's only one thing that we take away from here, it's almost never should you do a need for treat. Or if you're gonna call it a need for treat, haha, we're really sending them to our IME doctor. And we really should be sending them to the IME doctor who we last sent them to, who already gave us an opinion on permanency. So that's a full stop. The second thing is, uh, when they file a reopener and they cite nothing more than increased pain, I'm sitting back and saying, okay, what's your section 20 lump sum dismissal demand? Why are we even go dancing around this bush? Anybody can come and say they have more pain. That doesn't mean anything to me. Where's my discovery responses? What are you saying in your interrogatories? What has been your interim medical care? Where have you worked in the interim? Where are all these information I'm gonna to need to fully and properly defend the claim and also assess whether or not we should be offering the petitioner additional care. Look, there's gonna be a couple cases out there and they're gonna be in the minority where the petitioner really does need more medical care. There really is something curative that could go on and that should be provided. But frankly, we're talking about the vast majority of reopener claims, which are simply brought simply because two years, it's, oh, two years is about to elapse and it's time for uh, them to get some more money from them. All right. Okay, uh, that's all the questions I have, and uh, also a question I have time for. So thanks for all the questions. It makes it a lot more fun when you ask a lot of them. Uh, next, next month we're going to be talking about total disability cases and strategies. I'm going to talk specifically about using the second injury fund to reduce your exposures in those cases. Thank you very much for joining us today. I hope everybody has got a great week. Okay, see you next time.